Yeah, as Ian said, my name's Pete, it's my wife Sarah, and it's a real joy to be planting and starting a new church into Berlin, Germany, uh, part of the New Ground family of churches that you guys are with, and uh, it's just such an exciting adventure. Berlin is such a cool city, it's made up of around 4 million people, so there's lots of people to share the gospel with, and actually out of that 4 million, there's a very small minority that are already uh, part of Bible-believing churches, and so there's a real opportunity for us to share the gospel and, and see God do something wonderful. We've uh, only been in the city now for a few few months. Uh, we moved in April. And we had some friends who were with us come and join us a couple of months later. So it's still really early days, just adjusting to life. But already we're starting to see God do some wonderful things. It's really exciting. There's uh, a couple of stories for you. Uh, we uh, got into a conversation with a random guy on the underground. And uh, he just started to share about his life in the city and uh, about what he's up to. But not, it didn't take very long for him to open up and say that actually whilst he's got lots of friends and uh, he goes out partying a lot, uh, lots of colleagues at work, he's actually a very lonely man and uh, doesn't have family. And so instantly we were like, ah, oh, okay, well, this is interesting. This is what we're here in the city for, to, to make family, to build community and to share the gospel. And so we just, uh, said to him, this is a bit random. We've just met you. Why don't you come around our house for dinner? And uh, he did. He came around for dinner and spent the evening with us. Actually, he's got a bit of a kind of Christian upbringing and background, and uh, we're just full of faith that God's already on this man's case, and that he's going to do something in and through his life. Uh, we've moved into this flat, and uh, straight away uh, managed to make friends with one of the neighbors. There's a, there's a lady who lives upstairs that Sarah's been out for coffee with, and I just randomly came down the other day, needed a, a model for a photo shoot, and so I said to Sarah, can I take some photos of you? And it's just really interesting, this lady again, asking... Um, asking us, why are you in the city? What are you doing? Starting to share a bit about what we're doing uh, and the church. And she's like, what, are you, what is this about? I mean, why did you start a church? Are you trying to make money or something? Like, what is it about? So just starting to share with her the story of what we're up to. And yeah, God just seems to be opening lots of opportunities. So it's really exciting times. I wanted to say thank you to you as a church. Thank you for your prayers, for praying for us. Also, thank you for your finances as well. You guys have been giving us some gifts and contributing to this Berlin adventure. And so we're really grateful for that. Thank you. Uh, part of your prayers and your support is helping us get set up as a, as a team. And I'm um, really, really excited for what God's going to do. So thank you for that. And uh, yeah, please pray for us. Maybe at the end, continued prayers. We're really in faith for what God's going to do. We're praying at the moment for a team of 20 people. We're using this year as a season of prayer and preparation. We've got some other friends that are going to come and join our team towards the end of this year, beginning of next year, and uh, we're going to be kicking off with the church. At the moment, we're visiting other churches. We're learning about culture and language and what it's like to do life in Berlin. And uh, yeah, like I said, we're really praying for a team. We're actually asking God for a team of around 20 people, 20 missionaries coming to join us as we love God and love Berlin. Uh, so do join us in that prayer. If you've got your Bible, um, I'd love for you to open it and turn with me. If you haven't, don't worry, I'll read some verses. Uh, you can flick to two, two places. You can um, open up to Acts chapter 7, and then you can turn as well to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 37. And this morning, I want to share with you about faith. I want to talk with you about faith and faithfulness. It might be that you're new here this morning, and for you, the idea of faith doesn't have much relevance to your life. 
Uh, we're going to look in the Bible at a classic Bible story, uh, a famous Bible character, and his journey of faith. And this Bible is made up of many stories of the faithfulness of God and God's faith at work in and through his people. And like I say, you might be new and it might be that you have a bit of a caution. Maybe you're a bit skeptical towards the Bible. Well, I just want to challenge you right at the outset. You will have a faith. You have faith in something. You have faith in some kind of belief system. And for us as Christians, we believe our faith is in a God who is faithful and loves us and gave his son for us. And I want to just ask you this morning, why don't you just open your heart up? Maybe God wants to speak to you this morning about the faith of the God of the Bible. And so, yeah, we're going to look at the story of Joseph. It's an absolute classic. But I think there's a couple of things I just want us to uh, be challenged on and hopefully encouraged by this morning. And so I want to read to you just a couple of verses from Acts chapter 7 to start off with. And um, what we have here is uh, there's, a, there's a guy in the New Testament. Jesus died, he's resurrected, and uh, he's ascended, and he sent his disciples out to carry on his mission. And there's one guy called Stephen who's out doing this work of sharing the gospel. But the religious guys of the day, they don't like this. In fact, they've rejected the message of Jesus. So much so that they're about to stone this man, Stephen. He's about to become a martyr. And what Stephen does is he looks to share the good news of Jesus, is he presents messages throughout the Old Testament where basically the people of God rejected God. They turned away from God. They rejected who he was. And so Stephen wanted to point out that actually they too were rejecting the Messiah. And so he uses lots of different stories. And one of the stories that actually helps us this morning kind of is summarized here in Acts chapter 7. And I'm just going to read to you verse 9 and 10 as we get a bit of a summary of the story of Joseph. It says, And the patriarchs, They were Joseph's brothers. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him. Read that again. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. A classic story of what God did through this amazing man. You may have heard of the story, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, the theater production. If you, if, again, if you're new here to church, I'm sure even you would have heard of that famous story. What I want us to do this morning is actually focus more on the first section of the story, when Joseph, Joseph went through actually some trials before he became the second in charge of the ruler of, of Egypt, the, most, the biggest superpower at the time. We're going to focus in actually on the first half as he gets this faith event and as he holds on to the faithfulness of God. So again, a little bit more context and background for us. Genesis chapter 37. Why was it that that, that Joseph was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers? Why why were they so offended by him? let's, Let's look at a few verses here. Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land of his fathers, sojourning in the land of Canaan. Jacob was Joseph's father. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them 
of them to their father. Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Let me pause here for a second. One of the reasons that Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, turned their back on him, was because he was the new kid on the block. He was the young guy that turns up at the office and thinks they know it all. He was the guy that pitches up and has got all the great ideas. So much so that he went back to his father and told on his brothers. He told on his brothers of what they were doing wrong and got them in trouble. They didn't like that. They weren't impressed. He had brought a bad report to their father. Verse 3 carries on. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. Again, we're getting another insight here as to why his brothers betrayed him because he was the favorite. He was the favorite. Israel, his father Jacob, loved him more than any of the other brothers. And it says because he was the son of his old age. What does that mean, the son of his old age? Well, you might think, well, is that because he was the youngest, the son of his old age? Is that what that phrase means? Well, it doesn't because he had a younger brother, Benjamin. This phrase, the son of his old age, just shows us that actually Jacob had a soft spot for Joseph. Joseph was his favorite. That was his favorite son. And he had asked Joseph to carry on the family name. He was the guy that was going to take on the family business. He was the favorite. So again, another reason why his brothers betrayed him. And it goes on and says that he made a robe for him of many colors. This, this amazing robe of the many colors. Another thing we know about these sorts of robes is that they had long sleeves. And robes like this were worn by kings. And it signified something of leadership and authority. So Jacob had given Joseph this robe to, to make him stand out to say, this is my favored son. This is the one that's going to carry on the father's business. And the brothers were not impressed. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. It's not very nice, is it? Your brothers react that way. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of lessons from, from what happened with Joseph next. So that's why they were jealous of him. And there's two things I want us to really look at this morning, and that is faith. And we're going to look at how God had given Joseph big dreams. And I want to challenge you this morning, Hope Church, to dream big dreams. And then we're going to look at the faithfulness of God and how actually it's important that we dream big and have big dreams and go on faith adventures, but that sometimes we need to dig deep into God and we need to hold on to his faithfulness and perseverance in the midst of challenges. So the story of Joseph, he was 17 years old and he had these big dreams that got him in trouble with his brothers. Genesis 37 verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more, even more than they already did. They hated him. He basically went before his brothers, I'm sure you know the story. He told them very confidently, probably cocky, young guy, telling them that one day they were going to bow down before him. He was going to be the greatest. And the brothers are like, what are you going on about? What are you going on about? But he presented big dreams. Joseph was a man who had faith. He was a man that caught the big picture. He was a man that displayed a leadership gift, but he was a man that dreamed big dreams. The Bible dictionary talking about faith says this, Scriptures seem to regard faith as a stepping forward, not into darkness, but into the light which God has given. Joseph saw a light He had a revelation. He had a faith adventure that he saw before him, and he was very ready to step into it, or so he thought. I wonder, friends, what faith adventure is it that God has called you on? 
What dreams has God put in your heart? What are the big dreams that you are living with at the moment? We, as a couple, dream big dreams. We believe that God has called us to some exciting things. My wife Sarah is a musician. She's a singer. We carry big dreams of God using us and Sarah in the music industry for the glory of God. We have big dreams about caring uh, for young teenagers, for young people, helping them discover who they are in God and empowering them and releasing them in all that God has carried on them to do. We have big dreams about starting churches in Germany, in Berlin, and believing that God's going to do something fantastic with the gospel across this great city in the influential capital of Germany across Europe. We have big dreams. I wonder, friends, what are your dreams? What are the dreams that God has put on your heart? Well, you know what? God gives us dreams in a couple of ways. Let's just look at this really quickly. How does God give us dreams? Well, firstly, the obvious way is that God divinely speaks to us. He divinely shows us a dream. And this is what happened with Joseph's father, Jacob. It talks about Jacob having a dream where the angel of God spoke to him. And God divinely speaks to us. We read in Genesis Acts 2, don't we, about the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is now poured out on all flesh. It says that your, your men and your women, your young and your old, this introduces this age of the Spirit. And let me get this right. Let me read the verse to you. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. No longer is God coming on individuals like in the Old Testament, or even males. God's Spirit is available for male and female, young and old. We now have an age of the Spirit where we can all dream dreams and see visions. And God, I'm sure, has spoken to many of you through dreams and visions as His Spirit has come upon you. That's one way that we get dreams. God speaks to us divinely through the Spirit. Very exciting. Another way that God gives us dreams, and I kind of want to demystify a few things here, is that you know what? He just gives you dreams. And one of the ways he gives you dreams is by giving you gifts. And the Bible calls these grace gifts. He's given us gifts. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by grace. The only thing we contribute, friends, is our sin. Jesus saved us by gift of grace, his own life. And he gives you, by his grace, gifts. And I want to suggest that actually Joseph's dreams were his dreams. Jacob divinely heard from God. But Joseph just comes with a gift of leadership and says, Brothers, you're going to bow down to me. I'm the leader. I'm the guy here. You guys are going to follow my lead. God had given him a grace gift of leadership. His father spotted it. He knew it. He was putting him in charge of the family business. And he had a grace gift of leadership, and he had a dream that he was going to lead the family business. That was a grace gift. And you might think, I'm not sure what my dreams are. I just want to ask you, what are your gifts? What are the things that you're good at? Because you do have gifts. God has graced you with gifts, and there are many things that you are good at. And actually, it may well be that that's just a dream that God wants to use you in. Sometimes we can think, oh, I've got to wait for God to divinely speak to me. I think God just put dreams in Joseph's heart, a gift of leadership, and he wanted to follow that and work that out as um, he followed the call of God on his life. But before we move on to the second point, I just want to push this a bit harder, and I want to to make a suggestion that actually, I wonder whether Joseph's dreams were too small. 
Hope Church, I wonder whether your dreams are too small. I wonder whether God wants you to dream bigger dreams for Seven Oaks, for your life, and for your area of influence. See, I think Joseph's dreams are too small. And I think that's one of the reasons that God delayed Joseph stepping into the things of God. See, all that Joseph could see in front of him was his brothers bowing down before him. But it wasn't until later on in life that he actually had the perspective and the audience of the whole of the nation of Egypt. Egypt. God used him later on, giving him a bigger view of the dreams that he had. And actually that, that meant having a bit of a delay. Are your faith adventures and dreams big enough, friends? Um, we obviously have had a season of preparation for this church plant. And um, one of the things I've been doing is praying, but also reading and researching and learning. And I read this book by a, a German church planter. Uh, most church planting books, church planting is basically when you start a church, are written by people in America. They're, they're just the pros at all these sorts of things. But I found a church planting book written by a German guy. Excellent. And he had the most German name in the world ever, Dietrich Schindler. That was his name. And um, I love this book. It's it actually really helpful resource, resource looking at how Jesus did evangelism. It's called the Jesus Model, about how Jesus has intentions for us to reach out to people. Really helpful book. So much so that I thought, actually, I'm just going to email this guy, try and get hold of his details. I'd love to learn more from a guy that started churches in Germany. There's lots I can learn from this guy. And so um, when we just arrived in Berlin, actually, I found his email address on his website, emailed him, And uh, lo and behold, the same day, he emailed back saying, oh, you're not going to believe it, but I'm in Berlin this weekend. Do you want to meet up for dinner? And so Sarah and I went and met with this really sweet old gentleman. And uh, he shared his story with us of how God's used him to start churches in Germany. And uh, he had a phrase that God gave him, a dream, if you like, a big dream. And uh, it was a phrase that went along the lines of, um, five to grow before I go. God had given him a phrase, five to grow before I go. So he wanted to start five churches before he went to be with the Lord. And uh, we met him and he said that um, by the time he was 40 years old, he'd started five churches of what God was doing. And uh, then he was put in charge of actually um, one of the evangelical alliance uh, movements in Germany of helping start other churches in Germany. And now he's starting another church. Dietrich's dreams weren't big enough. God wanted to speak to him about having bigger dreams. Here's just another quick one for you as well. During our training season, we had a sabbatical and went to a leadership conference. And we got to hear a guy called Jossie Chaco, who is a father, a pioneering leader, uh, starting a movement of church plants, uh, grew up in India, educated in Australia, went back to India to start churches. And he had a vision of starting, he has a vision, of starting 100,000 Christian communities across India. 100,000 church plants in India. And um, uh, Jossie and his team are actually on track for this goal. They're averaging 11 church plants per day through the year of 2015. They have a a training program of putting existing leaders into homes with other leaders, training them up, releasing them, and then sending them out. As we listen to this guy talk about big dreams, we, funnily enough, got excited to dream big. Actually, at that moment, I felt God say to me, Your dreams aren't big enough for what I want to do in Berlin. Friends, are your dreams big enough for what God wants to do in Seven Oaks? Are your dreams big enough for what he wants to do in your life? It's time to dream big. I think just a couple of practical applications for us. What are some of the things that stop us dreaming big? I think it's to do with perspective. I think it's to do with how we see ourselves 
and how we see God. Firstly, I want to say a practical application. What stops us from dreaming big? Firstly, a small view of God. Joseph had a big view of God. You remember that bit in the story where um, he had been enslaved and put in prison and was then in um, the prison in Potiphar's house? And you remember Potiphar's wife uh, thought he was just a good-looking young chap and tried to get in bed with him and approached him, tried to seduce him day after day, but he refused. And the reason he refused is because he had a high view of God. It says this in uh, verse 9 of Genesis 39, when he's, when he's basically saying to Potiphar's wife, no, he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin, not against Potiphar, not against you, against God? How can I do this wicked sin against God? He had a high view of the holiness and the awesomeness of God. The Bible Dictionary, again on faith, says this. In scripture and in historical Christian tradition, faith always points beyond itself to that in which it believes in. The other thing might be that we have a low view on ourselves. A great time of worship this morning, remembering that there is no fear because we are sons and daughters of God. Joseph, part of his confidence was the fact that his father had installed in him a sonship. His father had said to him, I want you, I delight in you, I love you, I want you to carry on the family name. That's exactly the same case for us, friends. God delights in you. He loves you. You stepping into your dreams is not about you. It's about his love for you. Growing up, my dad used to use a really funny phrase with my sisters. He used to um, say, watch your princess. And um, I'm not quite, never quite sure what watcher meant. I think it was a hello princess. And as a young teenage boy, I just used to think that was a bit corny. It's like, oh, stop calling my sisters princesses. I just thought it was a bit weird. But you know what? I absolutely love it because it's true. And it's what God says of you and me. He says, watch your prince. Watch your princess. Friends, how do you view yourself? How do you view God? Because these things can affect how we view our dreams and the things that God's called us to. Let's dream big dreams. Let's have a God perspective. Let's look at our awesome God. Don't look at eye level. Look at God level. Secondly then, let's just think about the faithfulness of Joseph. We don't really learn too much about the faithfulness of Joseph, but actually we do learn about the trials he went through. said in Acts 7, verse 9, the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. But God was with him. You know the story of the iceberg that moves along. The iceberg, 90% of the iceberg is under the water, 10% is above the water. You see a big tree out the window. Actually, there's a good chance that there's more roots that are underground, hidden, than what you can see above the ground. The reality is we can have big dreams of being world changers, and that's good, but we need to invest in the hidden. We need to dig deep, friends. We need to dig deep, because it might be that it takes a while for our dreams to come into their fruition, for them to come to pass. Let's just have a little look at some of the things that Joseph went through. Genesis 37, 19 says, They said to one another, Here comes the dreamer, come now. Come, let us kill him. Let us throw him into one of the pits. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, they, the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and they threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. His brothers had betrayed him. Imagine that, your own family wanting you dead, throwing him into a pit. Joseph didn't know how long he was going to be in this pit. Dark, 
No water alone. You might have come here this morning. You might have just had the worst 24 hours of your life. But God is with you, friends. Genesis 37, 28, he was sold into slavery. Then the Midianite traders passed by. They drew Joseph up and lifted him, into pit, in, lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Again, he was enslaved into Potiphar's home in Genesis 37, 36. Later on in chapter 39, 20, we read about Joseph being imprisoned. Joseph's master took him and put him into prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison, isolated and alone. And you know what? You can track the story of Joseph and see that he was in prison for 13 years. So we've gone from 24 hours in a dark well with no water to being a slave and imprisoned for 13 years. I don't know about you, but I'd start to get a little bit discouraged and a little bit disappointed and just a little bit annoyed with God. God, I thought you'd called me to be a leader. I thought you put dreams on my heart. I thought you called me to do all these things for you. I think Joseph would have started to feel a little bit disappointed. One writer says this, says, It's tempting to see only Joseph's heroic character and achievements. But God does not want us to miss the largely silent, desperate years Joseph endured. Imagine the pain of his brother's betrayal the separation from his father, the horror of slavery, the seduction and false accusation by Pharaoh's wife, and the desperation he felt as his youth and years were passing away in prison. We uh, have been on a faith adventure, starting a church in Berlin. But the call of God in my life happened when I was 18 years old. Uh, I wasn't following God as a teenager. Um, I didn't think there was any relevance in God. I was living more for the acceptance of my friends. All of a sudden, God showed me his love and won my heart. And I got baptized at that moment. And instantly, I felt a call to serve God with my life. And strangely, I felt something of a warmth in my heart to start churches and to be involved in church leadership and something for the nations. And now I'm stepping into that. But actually, that happened when I was 18, and now I'm 35, quite some, quite, quite some years later. And actually, even these last two years, as we've defined the call of God and the dreams of, uh, of what God's called us to into our lives, um, we, we were just ready to go to Berlin, ready to start this church, ready for God to do something wonderful in the nation of Germany. And all of a sudden, the leaders that we're teaming with and that over, over us suggested, why don't you guys go and have a year and a half at another church first? And I was like, oh my goodness, I've just lived all these years living with this dream. All of a sudden you said I can go and now I've got to wait another year and a half. And there just began this kind of feeling inside me of, oh God, why? What, what's this all about? And you start to doubt yourself a little bit. Sometimes when you go through challenges, you start to doubt, God, did I really hear from you in the first place? And even for us at the moment, we have a small team. And we're thinking, God, Berlin is massive. You've called us to the huge city and we've got a small team. What is that all about? But you know what? We're a small team currently, but we have a big vision and an even bigger God. Not once did God leave Joseph. Not once did God abandon him. Day after day after day. Season after season of being imprisoned. And you know, we live in a culture and age, friends, where it's so easy to compromise it's so easy to give in on our faith. I recently read an excellent book called The Disappearing Church. 
It talks all about how, if we're not careful, the church can disappear. Looking about how often Christians give in to cultural relevance as opposed to gospel resilience, holding on to truth. Joseph didn't compromise his faith. He didn't give in. Day after day after day, he had a dream that God had put in his heart, and not once did he give in or compromise. And we see it everywhere in society, don't we? We live in a world that is very self-motivated. The philosophers and sociologists would call, things, call our society a society that is secular, or, or gives in to, to relative uh, thinking, thinking that tr- truth is relative. It's uh, in relation to your own uh, beliefs. We live in an individualistic society, or others call it a, a hedonistic, this pursuit of pleasure, a, a Gnostic, this pursuit of glorifying self. Berlin, the city where we are, is very much like that, and that's the world we live in. And if we're not careful, friends, sometimes that can seep into our lives, and it can seep into the church. But Joseph was a man that held firm. Mike Betts, who's a leader within our wider family of churches, tweeted a a great quote uh, thinking about our response to this. He says this, Whether in national life, business, or personal life, personal lives, many troubles stem from wanting to live free from God's authority. We simply don't like someone else commanding us or telling us what to do or how we must live. Discipleship, though, is exactly that. It's submitting to Christ. Joseph is a great example of someone that faithfully submitted to God. He's someone that that followed the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God. And again, just some real quick application for you. If you're in the midst at the moment of a tough season, it might not have been 13 years, but it might feel like it. You're in a season where you are digging deep at the moment. Friends, let me say, God is with you. Dig deep. Dig deep into him. And three really obvious ways that we can dig deep into him, into the faithfulness of a God who will never leave you. Firstly is the word, the Bible. Dig deep into God's truth and his promises. What he says about you, what he speaks over your life. Not the soaps that we watch on TV. What God says over your life. Exodus 34 verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding in it. There's lots of it. There's plenty. There are lots of promises in here that talk about God's faithfulness and his steadfast love. Let's press into them, friends, and remind ourselves of truth. The second way that we can be encouraged to be a people who are faithful is living by the Spirit, a people of the Spirit. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. He will be with you forever. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the promises of God. The Holy Spirit gives a deposit of what is to come. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He lives in you and he'll remind you of the faithfulness of God, about how God will never leave you. So much so that he made his home in you. He lives in you. The Holy Spirit is your helper, your counselor, the Spirit of truth. Let's be thirsty for more of the Spirit, friends. When you're feeling alone and isolated, when you're feeling just abandoned, hold on to the Spirit. Say, Spirit, fill me. I need you. I need your courage and help today. And thirdly and finally, how else can we grow in the faithfulness when we're in the pit? Well, it's doing the exact things these guys were telling us about earlier. It's living in community. 
It's being a people that live in community, not isolation, not feeling sorry for ourselves, but pushing through those lies and insecurities and saying, even though these guys annoy me, I'm going to go and hang out with them because it's better for me to be in community. Actually, I annoy a lot of people. And friends, you annoy a lot of people. But it's better for us to annoy each other and to grow together and to be a people of community. Get around people that are going to do you good. Get around people that love you. They might be different from you. But you know what? If they're the people of God, they'll love you. And they'll want to support you. And they'll want to do you good. I love Psalm 40 on this. It says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed it. I've, I've not concealed your steadfast love and your, your faithfulness from the great congregation. So effectively, we're told in this psalm to encourage each other, encourage the community with the steadfastness and the faithfulness of God. But let me just come into land and finish, friends. It's important for us when we're processing pain, when we've been in the pit for, the long time, for a long time, to, to process disappointment and hurt and be honest with God about that. But as, as Adam was hinting at earlier on, it's also important for us to put faith into action as well. It's important for us not to always feel sorry for ourselves. But Joseph, in the midst of these days and months and years, chose to hold on to the truth of God. He chose to be someone that didn't lose sight of the big God dreams that God had given him. The big God dreams that God has planted in your heart. Friends, God planted them. And it might be that there's some dreams that you have that you've just forgotten about. It might be that there's some dreams that you live with when you were younger that you've just conveniently forgotten about. Because actually, if you're really honest with yourself, you haven't. They're still in your heart. And actually, I believe that God wants to speak to you afresh today of dreams that he planted years ago, of things that he wants you to walk into, of not to allow disappointment and hurt to bury those things down, but for you to step into them. Joseph had big God dreams. He had great gifts. So do we. Joseph dug deep into God. And I think where we need to finish is the fact that Joseph was able to do these things because of his love for God and because of God's love for him. And we know that Joseph actually points us to a greater Joseph. We know that Joseph points us to a type of Joseph, Jesus Christ. Jesus is a new Joseph. He is the beloved son who is sold for the price of a slave, abandoned, left for dead, but who remained faithful and gets up and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus remained faithful, friends, even to the point of death. He died in our place. Joseph went down into the pit. Christ went down into the pit. Friends, Christ rose from the dead. And Joseph was raised up to that place of influence. And God wants to raise you up and use you in that place of influence. It'd be great for you guys to quickly pray for us in a second, but I want to pray for you quickly first, if that's okay. In fact, why don't you stand? I think there's many here this morning that as I've shared some of these things about dreams, it's just resonated in your heart. Actually, you have had some dreams, even as I've been sharing, you've just remembered, oh yeah, there was that revelation that God gave me. Oh yeah, there's that gift that I have from God. And I believe that God wants to give you fresh dreams this morning. If that's you, why don't you just open up your hands and your hearts right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you so much for your grace in our lives. Thank you for this church. God, we say it is a grace gift that you've given us. 
They are God dreams, Lord. And I just want to pray for this church this morning, Lord, where dreams have maybe been put a bit dormant, Lord, where they've been left behind. I pray, would you resurrect them this morning? God, I want to pray for brand new, big dreams. Brand new, big dreams. Dream big, friends. Dream big. They're dreams from God. They're gifts of grace. He's given you those things. Dream big. Dream big. And Father, I want to pray for anyone this morning who is just going through a a challenge, maybe the last 24 hours. I want to pray you would help them dig deep this morning. In fact, maybe just that thing of faithfulness resonates in your heart. Maybe you've known unfaithfulness in your life recently. Maybe someone has been unfaithful towards you, or you've been unfaithful. Friends, there's grace for you this morning. There is forgiveness. There is hope, Hope Church. There is hope for you. Jesus, I pray for my friends here this morning where we need to forgive people that have been unfaithful to us, Lord. I pray for grace and strength to do that in your name, Jesus. And Lord, I just pray, Father, Lord, that where we need to hold on to your faithfulness in tough times, you would give us courage to say, Lord, we're not going to give in. We're going to hold on to you. I thank you for your courage and your faith, Jesus, in dying in our place. And Lord God, would we hold on to you? And God, I pray for just exciting dreams for this church. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.